I get the you know the start of the class where people um, I explain to them, look, you're gonna we can only experience something in a face-to-face class that is nothing like you'll ever experience before in terms of any of the classes. Um, and I want you to think about how you would describe this to somebody else because tomorrow when we come to the debrief, there is a bit about what did you get out of this? What are your goals and things? And invariably we get to the end of the class and I say to people, can you describe what this class is about now? The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Excellent. Yep. Welcome everybody to our first ever TGDP Checkout Dive. This is a new private interview series for our Patreon sponsors. As a thank you to you for helping support our show. We said from day one that we wanted the Great Dive Podcast to be a free show, that we never wanted to charge for it. So the fact that we have this Patreon that you guys send us a couple bucks, a couple more bucks, some of you, uh, to help keep our show going means a whole lot to us. And we really wanted to do something special for you guys. So we got this idea for a checkout dive, a little checkout interview. And we're going to have a, a guest from time to time. We're not sure how often we can put these out right now, but we're going to try to keep them pretty regular. It's not going to be every week like the regular show is, but we're going to try to keep something coming to you guys as a thank you. And this is going to be a a real interesting special take. Um, It's going to have the same general format, but everyone who is a guest on this show is going to turn these questions different ways and it's going to be unique each and every one of them but it's a way to get you guys some exposure to some big names in the scuba industry some interesting people in the scuba industry they could be famous they could be regular joes and janes just like us but something something unique and it's going to be a way that you can get a perspective of who they are no matter how big and famous and extreme of a diver they may be a way to bring them back to being just another person just like all of us so i really hope you enjoy this one our very first guest is gareth Locke. in 2015 he retired from the royal air force after 25 years in he was operating and instructing on C-130 Hercules transport aircraft and was working in systems engineering on classified systems to protect helicopters and transport aircraft from being shot down. During the final five years of his service, he started to get interested in the role of human factors in diving with a view to improving diving safety and learning from accidents, incidents, and near misses. In January of 2015, 
He ran the first ever class which focused on human factors and non-technical skills in sports diving. Since then, he has trained more than 280 divers, instructors, and senior training agency staff in face-to-face classes. He's provided access to more than 1,000 divers to his online program and has sold more than 1,500 copies of his book, Under Pressure, Diving Deeper with Human Factors, which was published on the 12th of March this year. The book contains more than 30 case studies from divers such as Jill Heinrich and Richard Lundgren, Becky Kagan-Scott, and brings to life the theory of human factors and non-technical skills by weaving it through these stories. We got a chance to spend some time with him, talk with him over Skype, so the sound quality isn't quite as good as our typical recording. Uh, we're still learning that one, so bear with us a little bit. And uh, But this is a fantastic interview. We had a really good time doing it with him, and I hope you guys enjoy. Please send us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Send us some messages here on the Patreon. Send us some messages uh, via email, right on our website, on our Facebook. Make some Facebook posts. Please let us know how we're doing and what you think about this process. This is a new endeavor for us. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, awesome. Well, then, uh, without further ado, welcome Gareth Locke. And uh, let's uh, kind of get this new little interview series started. I don't know what they call called the dives back in the, the olden days over in the UK, but over here in the States, when somebody got certified, they used to call them checkout dives. Yeah, past. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I only certified in, in 99 in Greece and, and then uh really got into diving back in the uk in 2005 so it's it, it's not old from my perspective well they uh they used to call them checkouts and then a lot of the agencies were you know like you know patty and the big guys were like now don't call them checkouts anymore we're calling them certification dives so uh but i thought it'd be fun that if we had our listeners you know check out gareth or and check out these little interviews that we're doing so we kind of call these little checkout dives uh-huh. Well, check out interviews. <laughs> so, thank you for uh, taking part in being the first one. This is going to be a hit. You're uh, kind of the the talk of the town right now uh, out in the industry. It seems uh, you're all over the damn place, which is very good because you got some really, really amazing, awesome stuff to to share with the community. So, uh, we're really big fans of yours and uh, thrilled that you're going to be part of this with us. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Um, I, I don't know if like being out, out there is a, a really good thing or not. I get sort of positive stuff and I get some negative stuff back too. But hey, when you're self-employed and you've got to do marketing, well, you've got to get out and do it anyway. So, yeah, is the, is the negative stuff coming from from the people or the uh, the suits? Uh, some of the people actually. Um, it's just like, oh, not again. So. <laughs> Oh, just just because of your uh, volume of, uh, of of participation on the yes, very oh, much so. I got you. No, yeah. You, listen, if if you're not tooting your own horn, nobody's gonna be right. So yeah, yeah, very much so. Especially for this sort of topic. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, let's kind of get started then. So um, the first thing I wanted to ask is just that. 
You're uh, you're very popular right now in the industry. There's uh, a lot of talk about you, and you. I, I would say that you've got some success as as who you are uh, in the diving community. And what would you say is your biggest contributor to the success that you have right now in the scuba diving community? Um, I would say probably sheer bloody mindedness more than anything. <laughs> um, it, and it's interesting of just the success that appears to be now. And yet the first paper that I wrote about this, this topic of applying human factors to diving was in 2011. Um, and it took a, a concept from aviation and applied it to the, the diving industry and tried to understand, you know, what can we do? What can we bring from aviation, especially incident reporting and trying to improve a culture that allows people to learn from from incidents and accidents and failures. Um, and it was it was deemed as quite critical, um, which then meant that I burnt a whole bunch of bridges with some of the big names in the organizations. Um, it, and ever since then, it's been rebuilding that. And I think it's showing that what I'm doing is not trying to pick holes in what the agencies are doing or what the manufacturers are doing or what divers are doing. It's recognizing that we're all human, we're all fallible, and giving genuine examples as to how it must have made sense for people to do what they do. And by doing that through non-diving examples to start with, because then it's non-confrontational and people can relate to it, and then once you've got them hooked in this bit of, oh yeah, I forgot my keys, or I picked the wrong thing, or I misspelt something, or, or whatever, and then you segue into a diving example and say, and this is why somebody ran out of gas. This is why they didn't have the scrubber in their rebreather. It's all about making it contextually relevant to them in a non-confrontational way. Um, and talking about my own failures from that point of view, because now it's a case of, oh, he's not picking holes in everybody else because he's also doing this stuff to himself. So it's recognizing that we've got to create psychological safety. We've got to be safe from that point of view. People can question what's going on and really pushing to develop this just culture so that we look at events, accidents, incidents in a different way rather than pinning blame on somebody. Yeah, fantastic stuff, man. Um, when you when you said that back in 2011, that, that first article, who'd you write that for? I wrote it for me, actually. Um, so for for was, your personal website or? Oh, no, so it was, it was a personal paper that I was putting together to go to the training agencies in the UK uh, it's part of the British Diving Safety Group, which was a, is a safety organization in the UK that's got eight training agencies and it's also got the RNLI and the Ministry of Defense and a number of different organizations there. And what I was trying to do was to present a potentially ways of improving things, but it was quite emotional. In fact, it was probably very emotional and it got a lot of people's backs up because it was criticizing stuff that had happened for years and years. And I was a new person in the industry. So what did I know about this? Um, I look back at it and go, yeah, I probably shouldn't have written that. But it was the first step to, to getting out there. Um, and then to try and rationalize that in, in 2012, or validate that rather, in 2012 to start a, a part-time self-funded PhD, um, which is, is on hold at the moment. Part of that, that 
reason was to validate the work that I was doing and to try and bring academic scrutiny and rigor to what was going on. Um, that then got overtaken with the courses that I deliver uh, and people going, oh, yeah, I can see where this is coming from. Um, and so a lot of the validation that I was hoping to get from the PhD has actually come from the community. But now that I've got more time, or hopefully I will, is to go back into completing the, uh, to the completing that research. Yeah, so so it seems like a lot of like what you started doing early on with this then mimics a lot of what was going on in the early days of you know telling people the, the value of something as simple as good trim and you know real true buoyancy control and propulsion techniques back in the those early two thousands days. Yeah, and actually that's when, you know, I, I fell in with the wrong crowd and, um, you know, I'll probably end up talking about my sort of background and where I got to. Uh, but in 2005 is when I started um, diving with uh, GUE uh, guys in the UK. So it's like, ah, and this aligned with my military aviation background of training hard, fight easy, and actually just this whole bit of, well, if you're good in the water, if you've got good core skills that gives you the capacity to see what else is going on around you uh, and it, it really aligned with my mindset of what diver training should be like because i've been a little bit disappointed up until that stage yeah excellent man uh, brandon i can uh, definitely uh agree with you on that you know it was very enlightening the first time you saw the, the way that that dir school was presented early on Compared to everything else that we'd both seen. So uh, when did you realize that you wanted uh, scuba to be your life? Um, you know, compared to <laughs> back in like 2005, you know, when you first, or uh, when was it? Was it 2005 when you first yeah. got certified? So, yeah, well, actually it was a bit before that. So in 1999, I was on a holiday in Greece and I, I can't sit and do nothing. I've got to do something. And um, so I went looking for sailing, uh, a dinghy to hire, because I, I got some sailing uh, certifications back in the UK. But they said I couldn't hire a boat because uh, for insurance reasons. Uh, and I was walking back and I saw a couple of dive centers and I thought, oh, fancy that. And there was a British Aqua Club dive club uh, center there and a, a paddy dive center. It's like, well, I don't know anything about the British Aqua Club, but I do know about paddy. So I enrolled in an open water class in 99. And then um, we got to the last dive in the open water class and there was nothing to see at sort of 18 meters. So the instructor took me down to 24 meters and we swam around and we finished the dive. And he said, but you've got to log 18 because we're not allowed to go deeper than that on the class. I'm like, okay. So then five years passed and, and I didn't dive. Um, and then in March 2005, I was on a work trip to Cape Town. So we went with an operation just near there. Um, nobody checked any cards. It was a bit of a fun thing trying to put my gear together because I couldn't remember how to do it. But a couple of guys helped us. Um, and then we went off diving. And it's like, yes, this is this is brilliant. Um, nothing, nothing untoward happened at that stage. Um, and then a month later, I was in San Diego. And I dived on the Saturday with a guide there. And we limited to 18 meters and had a great time. Uh, and then on the Sunday, the problem was there were no open water dives, uh, open water level dives available. But I managed to persuade the dive center to let me go out to Wreck Alley, which is 30 meter, 100 meter, 100 foot dives. 
Uh, as an open water diver, I've got nine dives to my name. I didn't know any better. You know, I was the classic, you don't know what you don't know. And even worse, I didn't know I didn't know. So right. we got in and jumped in, the, the, jumped in, swam down the anchor chain, and I tried to put some gas into my BCD, uh, and there was nothing happening. I thought, oh, that's not good. But I, I know it's a 100-foot hard deck, so I know I'm not going to disappear down into the depths. So we hit the bottom, and I signaled to my buddy, who was a work colleague, that something wasn't quite right. And, and we managed to reconnect the, the low-pressure inflator that had come off. It popped off the nipple uh, from the inflator hose. So we swam around and came back up again, and we did another 30-meter dive, 100-foot dive, straight afterwards, uh, after the sort of surface interval. And it's like, yes, I want to get back into diving. I want to do something. So in 2005, um, that, that later that summer, I met up with some guys in the sort of GUE UK, DIR UK crowd. Uh, and I, I say I, I fell in with the wrong crowd at that stage. Um, and, and it was like, yes, this is the sort of training that I want to do. So I did fundies in 2006, Tech 1 in 2007, and then Tech 2 in 2008. Um, and it was lots of diving. I had nothing else on at that stage. I'd just become, let's see, not quite. I was just thinking about being separated, but it was fairly close. So I had a lot of time to myself. Um, so I got uh, quite a lot of dives in, lots of dives in. And uh, at that stage, it was like, yes, I really want to get into the diving. And then, say, in 2011, I wrote this paper. And then 2012, it's like, right, I want to do more about this. It wasn't then until January 2016, I'd just left the Air Force, had retired from the Air Force, early retirement, wanted to teach in the oil and gas industry, human factors work. And the bottom fell out of the oil market. So there's no money for training. And uh, in 2015, like, I want to do something about this in diving. So I ran a first pilot class in January 2016, and then another one in February 16. So I trained 15 people at that stage, and pretty much everybody on the class had said, loved it, learnt loads, have no idea how you're going to market this. Um, it's something that needs to be built into the diving industry, but it doesn't fit with the program at all from that perspective. And then in... So I've been trying quite hard at that stage and trying to run outside of diving business as well. And then in 2017, I was working with a business coach to try and build my non-diving stuff, working in healthcare and oil and gas. And she said, all you've talked about is your diving element. You've said you don't want to focus on that because there's no money, but you've talked and talked about this. Um, you've trained more than 150 people face to face and you've sold more than 500 online classes. There is a business there. You've just got to work out how to market it. Um, and then in May, April, May last year, I thought about writing a book because there's a way of getting stories out there. And then one of my students, uh, Matt Partridge, who was on a training class with me, said, you need to write a book about this, make it more accessible. And it's like, well, why don't you just say that? Um, so I started really putting it together in June time last year, collated everything by the end of last year, and then in March this year, it was published, and I've sold more than fifteen hundred copies now, oh, uh, which is is great. And they're all over the world, um, and and this is my full time business now. Um, it, it bloody hard work uh, in an environment that doesn't understand what human factors is. In fact, one of my students last year said the biggest problem with human factors in diving is human factors. People don't understand what it's about because it's everything 
and so they can't put their finger on it. It's it's a, an intangible, and yet it touches everything we do. Um, so that's it, it's word of mouth that that's really been working now. Exactly. That's so much of what drives you know this small subsection of of diving that that we all do is it is word of mouth because mm -hmm. you can sit there and talk to your blue in the face it seems about you know buoyancy and trim and all these you know technical factors that, that we teach in in these essentials type fundies type classes and there's not a single diver out there that's going to tell you that they got bad buoyancy control that they've got bad propulsive techniques right right and and same thing with uh you know, I, I can imagine you, you go through this all the time with situational awareness and thinking and planning. Of course, I plan my dive. and You know, it's got to be so similar. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's um, it, it's it's really I get the, you know, the start of the class where people um, I explain to them, look, you're going to we can experience something in a face to face class that is nothing like you'll ever experience before in terms of any of the classes. Um, and I want you to think about how you would describe this to somebody else because tomorrow when we come to the debrief there is a bit about what did you get out of this what are your goals and things and invariably we get to the end of the class and i say to people can you describe what this class is about now no oh uh, yeah <laughs> right, right, right. i've learned loads it should be in every training but i couldn't give you tangible product something that you can touch to say oh yeah I make better decisions i communicate better I understand how to debrief and exactly that you go back to other people and say right this is about how to be in a team now oh, I'm a team already so it is it is such a difficult concept to get across at times oh yeah I know the feeling there man I know the feeling um, you know in the the technical skill part that uh, you mentioned it's you've got to see it in the water first mm. right it is really the only way it's going to really come across to somebody is with that video camera showing specifically where the breakdown is. Um, for you, I would have to imagine it's it's putting them into some sort of scenario and situation and letting them act out and just seeing the the idiosyncrasies they have and the the what they fall back on. Oh yes, um, the you know the training classes. So I I deliver an online class which is really just to to get people interested. And that online class came about following the, the second pilot because they said, well, why don't you take some of the theory, put it into an online program, and then people can see what it's about. And then the third class that I ran, they said, well, why don't you make this a complete standalone program? You might be able to charge for it. Um, and now you can take some of the theory out of the two-day program. We can talk about case studies and get more personal stuff done. Um, and that's really where the online class is. And it gets people interested in the topic and then the face-to-face -face classes are using a, a computer-based simulation which is completely domain independent agnostic i've used it with cardiovascular surgeons intensive care unit teams software writers the idea is that you put people in a a novel unfamiliar environment where they have no idea what they're doing they get given some instructions but they have no concept of what's, what's going to happen there's a lot of self-generated stress, which means they make mistakes. And then we sit down, there's normally there's a team of four operators and then two observers. So there's a class size of six. And we rotate the observers into the operators. So they basically take seats. And there's always at least three times you get to operate uh, and twice you're observing. 
And so you get to see how the others operate in a stressful environment. And you have to start to debrief them as well. There's a lot of reflection. The first couple of missions are typically train wrecks because they've never operated together as a team. They've never encountered this situation before. And it's designed by aviation psychologists to create a massively stressful environment, but psychologically safe because it's not their professional business. So you're not judging them on their professional technical competencies. So you work with a bunch of surgeons and they're quite defensive when they get into clinical simulations. If you put them in an environment that nobody knows how to operate it and everybody starts at ground zero, well, actually, you break down a whole bunch of those barriers. Um, and we spend a lot of time debrief each of the missions, how it made sense, what do they need to improve on as individuals and how they're going to do it, what did they succeed at and why. And we do that as an individual and as a team. And we basically go around really in-depth debriefs. And then at the end of the class, they set goals, which they then take forward to their own diving or their professional career. And I follow up with coaching emails to keep people focused on the stuff that they learned. Because by the end of the two days, everybody's brains maxed, maxed, maxed out. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. right. so it's like, what did you learn? Uh, lots. I've got to reflect on this and put it out. And that's really what the idea of the coaching emails afterwards is to basically get people hooked and thinking about what's going on. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic, uh, keeping that communication going. Perfect. And then uh, the, the having them set goals afterwards, that, I, I like that. I'm going to steal that and start adding a little bit more of that into my, my training myself. And it's something that I say to instructors is, look, you know, build a relationship with your students and have follow-up emails. Have a, you know, there are MailChimp is a free mailing marketing system. Use it in that sense. So get to the end of the class, get the students to set some goals, and then spend time following up on that as long as you know you might not have those conversations but at least if you sow those nuggets every now and again to say you know those goals you set how are you getting on you've got to keep yourself accountable but i'm going to prod you every now and again so that's an easy thing that people can take away and apply to their own instruction good deal um so for our for our listeners you know who are divers of all different walks of life i would say i think i think we have a a large number of our listeners are, are, are newer divers uh, that are a lot of which are still in the recreational end of the of the game. Um, part of what we want to do in these little checkout interviews is to kind of bring the, the realness of, of some of these divers who now are you know kind of big in the in the industry and so a lot of times you know you and, and a lot of people get put on a pedestal of being a superhero in the dive industry sometimes <laughs> but all of us uh, at, at all levels have our own strengths and weaknesses that make us who we are and so I was wondering what part of diving would you say is not your strongest point like the part that makes you still human, that you know that every time you get in the water and have to dive, it's something that you're thinking about, that you're working on. Um, um, I would say the biggest bit is I don't get in the water enough. Because this is now my full-time job, most divers have got jobs of their own. So the classes that I run are at weekends. Um, and despite what people think, you know, when I charge 750 bucks a, a person for a weekend's class and there's no diving in it because people get upset about that they they think i'm making a shed load of money out of this um 
and there's, there's yeah, no, there's you know the class size is six, and by the time I've covered all the expenses, I might make two hundred and fifty bucks in a day, um, and people go, you're nuts. You could do far more than this in the industry. It's like or outside, you know, in in, in software or corporate. Um, you're right, I could, but I wouldn't enjoy it in the same way because I'm passionate about trying to get this. So that's my biggest weakness at the moment, I would say, is I don't get diving. Um, but I'm also aware that um, I may jump into conclusions, as, as we all are. We're all biased. Um, I'm fallible. And I try to be as open-minded to that as possible. Um I did some training a little while ago that really opened my mind as to what makes people tick, that um, that whatever they're doing makes sense to them, what, whatever their drivers are. And so when people criticize me for my motives in terms of potentially being financially motivated to make this happen, to make money out of the diving industry, I used to get really wound up about that. And now I just sit there and go, fine. If that's your thought process move yeah. on um you know it, it it was a very refreshing thing so that's you know probably my my weakness and also my strength is recognizing that i am a values driven person if somebody criticizes me i used to get wound up now i just take you know flow with it from that perspective so yeah get out there and dive when you can and i've got a trip coming up uh in six weeks seven weeks time uh, and i've set aside a week where i'm going to go and i haven't dived for ages in fact most of the diving that i do at the moment is when i travel around the world to run classes so i think my last sort of dives bunch of dives have been in bonaire in new zealand um in else, not really in the uk so i've set myself aside a, a week to get worked up before we go away up to Scapa Flow in North Scotland. So actually, I'm all um, all sorted before we go diving. Yeah, good deal. I think because I think a lot of uh, a lot of the divers overall are that very very situation, right? I mean, they're, they're certified divers, and and as, and as passionate as they may be, I think the overwhelming majority of the divers out there still have a very small amount of diving that they do. It's it's the it's the rare person that's doing hundred or hundreds of dives a year. I mean, most of them are an occasional trip here and there, maybe a couple of little weekenders thrown in. So it, it's nice to hear, I'm sure for a lot of listeners, that there's other people out there that get wrapped up in the personal life and not getting the chance to get in the water as often as they'd like to. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, Jamesy, uh, how about when we get Gareth out our, our way um, for a class, we make him commit to a dive or two or three. What do you oh. think? You think we can get you in the Great Lakes? Yeah. Oh, All I'd right, love brother. That's, that's the deal. Yeah, we'll call we'll we'll call that a, a, a definite. That's You're, a help this, we recorded this. There's no uh, backing out of it now. <laughs> and actually, the, the the bit about inexperience and and um, sort of weekend diving or the, the holiday diving. I listened to a presentation by Dan Orr uh, last weekend at the uh, LA Scuba Show, Long Beach Show, in which he talked about a high percentage of divers died on the first trip of a holiday um, because they hadn't got everything sorted. And, and we're, unfortunately, as humans, we're pretty poor at risk management. 
because we judge based on previous experiences. And the last time I went diving, that's okay. Um, and nothing went wrong. And we don't really talk about the near misses in the community. So we don't know how close to the edge we are in a lot of cases. Um, and we often get defensive when people talk about it because, well, they're different. I wouldn't do that. It's like, well, you're all wired the same way. So why would you be any different from that perspective? So it's the mindset that's associated that says, we're all fallible. We're all going to make mistakes. How do we change that? Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you you repeat in the in the book. I'm sure those guys on the first dive of their holiday, the the last thing they were thinking was, I might die on this first yeah. little little get reacclimated dive, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know the gear hasn't been tested. It's it, it's in hindsight, it's really obvious. But we don't have a crystal ball when we in life at all, and we make best guesses for the future. Uh, and sometimes those best guesses don't come out because we've missed some critical factors because we weren't looking for them. So good, so good, so good. So um, I know uh, you know you're you're in deep under pressure with uh, the book and the, the human factors <laughs> stuff. But um, looking back at uh, all you've done here since 2011 and, and uh, first writing that uh, first little uh, article that you did. If there was something that you would have changed along the way, can, can you think of something that it would be to, to, to make things uh, different today or better today or w with your diving or, or with the human factor stuff? Um, I would say from the the diving side, probably not really, because I think I got in and I only had 50 dives to my name when I did fundamentals. So I didn't have to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff. It was hard work, definitely. Um, but actually, and then I started on the route of having a good platform and learning to dive one level above where I was operating. And by that, I meant that I was doing fundamentals. I did fundamentals to give me a good platform. I then did my tech one normoxic trimix so that I could do fundamentals level diving and photography without thinking about the diving. I was doing a lot of rec photography at that stage and I wanted, you know, a very stable platform. And then when I did Tech 2 as hypoxic trimix, advanced trimix, I did that so I could do Tech 1 level diving without thinking about the diving. So it became just massive capacity building from that perspective. So in terms of the diving, not really. In terms of the human factor stuff, I would say probably not being such an arrogant dick uh, in terms of... <laughs> um, and, and actually going to talk to people beforehand and just saying, okay, what's your side of the story uh, from the agency's perspective? And and start early building those bridges. And I would have probably started the formal research much earlier as well. Um, and then finally, I suppose, is finding a way to maintain a level of cash and time that will allow me to go diving uh, from that perspective and carry it on from there. So um, be more humble would probably be my uh, my bit. Uh, looking back saying what would I have done differently yeah I really like how you uh, make the mention of training beyond your the level of diving that you're actually doing because because there's so many people out there that they take whatever the class is and they go right to that level if not push beyond thinking that well it, it, it's not that hard I got this and then they go beyond their means before they before they scale back and get really, really good at the level that the, at the, where they should be. 
and I would say that probably applies to a, a fair number of instructors as well, that they don't have the spare capacity to be diving above the level they're teaching. And if you are diving at the same level as your students are, you're going to be learning stuff when the Murphy's Law comes up and you don't want to be in that situation, which is difficult when yeah. you have success because nothing went wrong on the previous dives. Um, and yet when I speak to open water instructors, they say there's some of the scariest dives out there um, because the, the divers, the students are so unpredictable. Hopefully by the time you've got to sort of tech and cave level, um, people have got a better grip on what's going on and the, the, the sort of the genuinely incompetent people have been weeded out or they're not at that level. Um, you're not going to get quite so many surprises um, from that perspective. So Yeah, fantastic. Hey, so, I, I don't know about the arrogant dick part. <laughs> working for uh, for me. Uh, no. <laughs> My wife would say. But no, yeah, you see you see that out there quite a bit. Maybe they could use a little humility too. Well, uh, it's you know, it, it, you, you mentioned um, you know a little bit earlier, you know, too about how some of the the issues that that you had, you know, with um, getting getting through to people, you know, the value of this. You know, and, and we we teach this, uh, you know, in that essentials class that, that I do and the fundamentals that you're talking about, those laws of education and specifically being that law of readiness, where it's, it's hard to, to make clear to somebody the value of something if they're already sold against it and just not ready to hear what it is that you want to say. Yeah, very much so, which is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, um so how do you how do you determine what's what's next for old Gareth? You know, um, so many people, specifically in the diving, as you know, are you know I've been there, been there, done it. You know, uh, they're they're just looking for they got to get to whatever the wreck is, you know, so they can buy the T-shirt and, and prove that they've done it. Um, but for you, you know, here you are, you're on the the verge of this big thing. You just wrote this great book that's getting a lot of uh, uh, exposure nowadays. Um, what uh, What is it that keeps you motivated and, and focused on the, the diving community and, and, and what's going to be next for you with the diving community, do you think? So I would say split that into two. One is from the diving side is um, once I've built some time and, and financial capacity is to go and get case certified and rebreed. I'm already uh, certified on a JJ uh, with TDI. Uh, but I want to go down the GUE CCR route, so I've got a better idea from that perspective. Um, so that's really my my goals for next year are to get either cave uh, and or rebreather one done. Um, but recognise that I've got to get my in water capacity back up as well. Um, in terms of the human factor side, um, is to create a a group of instructors who can deliver my two-day class around the world and and that's for a couple of reasons really one is one of the major costs for my class is travel expenses and if i can create a group of local instructors then actually the class is is likely to be more appealing uh, well that's what i'm hoping anyway um, it also allows a network to grow outside of just me if, if this is word of mouth it's creating another group another circle and network out there that can provide that word of mouth with direct experience 
And that program starts, the first one will start in June with a bunch of webinars. Um, and it runs through till February next year, which will end with a, a two-week face-to-face instructor development program where they're going to learn a bunch of coaching skills separate to diving and then run through the, the face-to-face class, both as students and with as, as instructors, coaches. And I'm going to get hold of a bunch of people to act as genuine students because instructors never behave the way genuine students do and every class that i've taught has been a learning experience for me because all the students are different all their interactions are different uh, and you've got to be able to think on your feet and and be happy with uncertainty uh, from that perspective um, so that's you know from my my personal side from the human factors uh, and then i'll run another class at the tail end of last year tail end of next year sorry and then is to work with the organizations as best I can to get the concepts of the training programs then put in together and embed them into their training materials. Um, There are a number of barriers to that. One is um, they're all commercial entities. So how do you make money out of this? But it's not a money making process. It's an educational thing. Um, And there's also the time it takes for organizations to update their training materials. It's normally anywhere between 12 and 36 months to update materials. So it's gonna take a while to do that. Fortunately, the position I hold within Global Underwater Explorers, GUE, means that I've influenced some of the stuff and, and the rebreather materials and the advanced trimix, the tech two classes, are just going through updates. And so they have put human factors into those programs. So we've got formal frameworks for rebreather and the advanced trimix classes they've got human factors in and it's trying to get that into other organizations materials and then what motivates me to keep doing this is that every class i teach i get loads of light bulb moments happening in the classroom where people go ah so that's how and why i behave the way i do or why somebody else does the fact that i get complete strangers talking to colleagues of mine and, and then they go, oh, you sound just like Gareth Locke does when they're talking about accident analysis and trying to actually look at things differently. And to me, that's what it's about. It's about trying to get a different viewpoint out there that's not judgmental, that it looks at that local rationality and to try and get away from this whole blame and judgmental litigation culture we've got, which massively limits learning from that perspective. Um, so it's it, it's the smiles that I see where people say this has changed how I view the world. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, the the, the aha moments from the, the student are are so pleasing as a as an instructor to to see that light bulb click. Mm-hmm. And and then take it forward into not just their diving world. You know, I've got people who operate in healthcare and business and software. And they take the skills that they've learned in the class and they've applied it to their daytime jobs. In fact, the number of people who come back went, this isn't a diving class. This is a life class. And it's like, yeah, I know. I've just put a diving spin on it uh, because it needs to be done from that perspective. But it is, it's an insight. Yeah, so good. So good. So if, if the world had worked out differently for you and uh, you, you weren't in, in the scuba diving community, 
where would you be? What do you think you'd be doing? This this same stuff, I'm assuming, but it's just uh, you'd, you'd be in the oil and gas and actually making money. <laughs> well, yeah, apart from there's no money in oil and gas, but <laughs> uh, healthcare, um, oil and gas, power generation. I still do some work in the other domains. Uh, I spent a week in a, with a software company in January in Portugal uh, working with them. Um, it, people are people. It's just the stories that change. Um, so... The hard bit is when you work in a new domain is how do you create a presence um, and, and, and a reputation that people come to you. And I think that's where now it's working and diving where I've had uh, navies come to me and say, can you give us a proposal to deliver some of this training into our dive teams as well? Um, so it's, it's, it's getting there. Um, it's just the classic bit. So what's the return of investment on this sort of training? It's like, well, it's really difficult. If you're measuring safety by the number of accidents you have and you don't have very many, it becomes really difficult to prove the value of this. If you're measuring it by improved performance and good outcomes, then actually it's easier to me measure that. But it is not something that we go out there and and look for at the moment yeah fantastic fantastic stuff man i love it this is this has been a this has been better than i was expecting uh, uh better than i i shouldn't say expecting but better than i hoped for this has been a fantastic uh, interview and thank you so much for being here why, why don't you take a quick minute to uh tell the people out there uh, you know a little bit of your info and you know, definitely where they can find you, where they can get more info, you know, about uh, human factors and uh, you know, whatever you need for them to get in touch with you if they want okay. to get, get your book and find out about the class. So the the website that, that everything's through is thehumandiver.com. Um, and if you want to get details about the book and read some reviews, humandiver.com forward slash under pressure. And it's available from there, it's available from Amazon. It's also available on Kindle. Um, and people have asked me about an audio book, an audible version. So that's, I've got to look at that. But I know it's it's about four to one. So it would take me about 40 hours to record. Um, you could probably have Brando and I read it for you if you want. <laughs> translate it. <laughs> we can translate it into American. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, thehumandiver.com or, and then forward slash under pressure for the book or, uh, or, and I run a, a Facebook group called the human diver, human factors in diving. So if you just Google or search on Facebook for human factors diving, you'll, uh, you'll find me there. If you want to join the group, there are some questions just because I don't want loads of spam going in there, um, from that perspective. So please fill in the questions and then I'll approve you to join. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and, and talk on this and, and get it all going. I, I don't think I'm massively special. I'm standing on the shoulders of, of giants out there. I just said I'm bloody-minded and pig-headed from that perspective of trying to get going. But I believe in it because it works. It just Yeah, well, the, the passion very, comes through, definitely. So. Love it, love it. That's, uh, that's certainly what uh, I love to see out of the people too. Is when when you see somebody that has the passion uh, that, that makes you you know happy and smile just talking to them. It's good stuff. Man. So I wish you all the all the best. You know, we totally wish you all the best, and uh, hope it all works out great for you in the end. 
Brilliant. And looking forward to coming and running a class for you guys and diving with you too up in the Great Lakes. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we definitely threw it out to uh, to our listeners. So hopefully we get a good response and uh, definitely something back from this too. And um, we'll keep you informed, buddy. Excellent. Thanks so much. Cheers, gents. All right. Have a Cheers. wonderful night. Take care. Have a good time and uh, rest of your stay in New York. Thank you. Cheers. See ya. Bye, Gary. Okay, so Gareth. Gareth Locke. What an awesome interview. That was it a was. lot of fun. It was good to get the word straight from the the horse's mouth, per se. No no offense to Gareth. He's not a horse. He's a very <laughs> intelligent horse, if he is a horse. Yes. He's like Mr. Ed. <laughs> Only smarter than Mr. Ed. Although Mr. Ed was pretty smart. A lot of people won't remember Mr. Ed. <laughs> Oh, man. And I digress. That's why I kept quiet in that whole interview. Because <laughs> I know you're going to... Uh, I, I wanted Gareth to get, his, waiting, get what I he wanted. Waiting. I was waiting for it. I do not want to scare away anyone that wants to, you know, that we might be able to get an interview well, with. Well, we said that we wanted to do something different with this interview series, right? To really allow our listeners to get even a different side of these guests that we're going to have on, right? Because, I mean, everybody's... Everybody's heard a little bit of Gareth. You know, if they've listened to our show, if they're active in the dive community, they, you know who Gareth is. Yeah, right? exactly. But then to try to, like, what we want to do is try to also get the information of why they're relevant today, but also bring bring it around to how, at the end of the day, though, they're still just a regular diver like you and I, and they go through a lot of the same things questions in their head that a lot of new divers are we regular divers absolutely uh and again to have his perspective on what he's trying to say it's it leaves any room for error and interpretation really of what what he's trying to get across the work he's doing uh yes his um i liked when he said uh you know what what was making him successful was his sheer bloody mindedness well i would agree that's Hard work and yeah. tenacity, and never, never given up. Which well, is I want to call. I want to give Gareth a title. Not to. Inter- uh, he is the hardest working man in the dive business. Like they used to say, the hardest yeah. working man in show business. Who was that? Elvis, I think. Maybe it won't ever come yeah. to me. But I, he is definitely no doubt, about if not it. the hardest working man in the dive mis- business. One of the hardest working men in dive business. He's always working. He's always out there. He's always talking. He's always polite and and getting his point across, and you don't always find that number one. But every you know, it's well thought out. It speaks for itself. His material speaks for and itself. It's, it's not just a variation on an old gimmick, right? It's something new and very relevant. Oh yeah, it is a new way to look at at how to learn from dive accidents. Basically, how can we learn and how can we actually better ourselves? Right versus. It, well, he just didn't check his air. Just check your air, man. Well, right. Well, he's well, the, a dumbass. The, the interesting thing. How is many dumbasses? Yeah. You know, when he wrote that first article in 2011, how the industry basically was like took it as a big slap in the face. Like we've been Whoa, teaching. Yeah. You, you're telling us we've been teaching wrong. You just got to get certified. Are you talking to us? You just got certified a couple years ago, son. Well, isn't that a lot of people in the industry right there? Yeah. I mean, well, they, right. they speak from and, no intelligent perspective. Uh, and not and all he was of them, saying, but, like, hey, I'm not 
trying to criticize. I'm just saying there's this is, a big ego. The, the, there. Yeah, there's there's something new. You know, everybody makes you know these silly little mistakes. But why? Let's look at that part and too. How? How do we allow these mistakes to be made and not kill someone? I guess that's one way. I mean, knowing there's going to be mistakes. Yeah. We're humans. So how do yeah. we do it and not kill ourselves? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, 20 years from now, like we'll, I firmly believe that we'll look back on this innovation of his with this thinking. And it's going to be, it's got to be part of every, it should be every and class. That, right. Well, and that's what I think. But just like, you know, 20 years ago, nobody talked about situational awareness. Oh yeah. Now, now it's key. Now it's a chapter in every single scuba book. Out nobody there. talked about being, you know, they said, oh, trim helps. But they weren't trim, right? They, I'm with you, right? You know, so, so neutral buoyancy. Twenty years but from now, we don't teach fact, neutral buoyancy. We <laughs> we just talk about it, right? Yeah. And then twenty years from now, it, it's gonna be fun to watch the evolution of this. I guess. I right. hope Gareth gets credit due. And I this do is too. what I I, do I, too. I guess the question I didn't ask him that I wanted to is: Is he worried that these agencies are going to take his work and call it their own? Just like what's going on, kind of, you know, with where we came from the ideology and the the techniques and things that we were taught and now all of a sudden the other agents are like well for example situational awareness and trim and the propulsion techniques all that stuff that was basic stuff for the people we learned from the other agencies were bashing us for the equipment choices for our ideologies if you will now they're embracing them you know it's just like right. that old saying you know first they Sure, sure. Well, that's and they argue well, with you, I think then you they and I will both you, then they embrace you. Yeah. yeah, you and I will both do our part of making sure that he always goes down. Gets the as, credit as the forefather for of this, and I hope. I mean, not only the credit, but the from all his work that he's done, get the due dinero, if you will. Yeah, he yeah. needs to it's be a, recognized. It's a difficult and, and it's a difficult task. And he mentioned in there that the biggest problem with human factors in diving is he said the human factors and people just right now don't understand what it is and what it's all about right so he's making that big push especially over here in the states in the states you know just we're we're such a i've got my attorney's card in my wallet you know sue happy nation mm -hmm. that litigious yeah litigious society yeah for that litigious avenue to be pursued the first thing that has to be established is blame. Who do we blame? And that's where, you know, Gareth's trying to get into that just culture, which is not so much the blame aspect, but how did this happen? Yeah, we, all, yeah, we all have these psychological stressors that are going mm -hmm. to be some sort of a factor in everything you do. And you and I would say even more so when you go underwater. Oh, yeah. So it, it's exciting stuff to see. You know, we'd, we'd mentioned how like part of this interview series is relating these stars, if you call them right, right now, in the industry that we're interviewing, relating them back to just average Joe, average Joe Diver, and uh, I, I like or Josephine or Josephine. Let's come on, let's cover the board here, man. Average Joe and Terry Divers. <laughs> Bobby Joe and Terry, <laughs> but he, uh, you know that that part about. You know what makes him human still you know uh and, and how is he still just like like all of us and being able to mention that you know he feels he doesn't dive enough yeah and his dive background and he, and he's still learning he's still taking still classes learning. still has things he wants to to accomplish and, and, I, and I hope so many people walk yeah. away with with this part of what he said is he trains beyond his level 
Right. Right. He took, you know, he took that tech level so that he would be more comfortable with all of his basic skills. Right. And he took his tech two level so that he could dive more tech comfortably one. at tech one. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a model for... I think we've been saying this. I know that was in my mentality for decades, basically. Train up a level higher than you you really are going to dive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope listeners walk away with that mentality for sure, that, that, they, that they embrace that mm-hmm. and enact that in their own diving in the future. Because that, to me, that was a huge takeaway. That is a huge takeaway. I mean, that's great that you pointed that out because as he said it, I was, you know, I was cheering him on like, yeah, this is uh, kind of what we do. I mean, in the sense of we've, we say train higher than what you're going to be diving. You always train harder. It's a military concept as well. Yeah, very cool stuff. Well, hey, Patreon subscribers, this is for you. Yes, uh, that's a big thank big, you. A big, huge thank you to you guys. We couldn't be here without your help. So, again, we wanted to do something special for you. I hope you enjoyed this. Please, if you do, get out there on uh, on our social media and let us know. You know, uh, Send yeah. us a message here. Give us some feedback. Yeah, send us a, a message on on Facebook. You know, uh, send us a message Facebook on our, is, on our yeah. webpage. Tweet Primarily it, Facebook. Yeah, I would let, like to see it out there. Not to interrupt. Yeah, you, let uh, you know, let the other people know how valuable you found this. If you did, the other thing uh, we'd like to do is solicit any interest in us getting a course for Gareth to come teach. We'd like some folks to come to our local area and uh, you know take a take the class from Gareth. Actually, get the full benefit of everything. Yeah. So teach. we're here in uh, Metro Detroit area. We are definitely looking at bringing them in, into town to mm-hmm. run one of these. So you guys got first dibs because you're hearing it here. So we are going to ultimately push it on the show, the fact that we're going to run this class. But it's a, it's a small class or limited number. So if you're interested and you want to come into Detroit area to meet us for one of these classes that he's doing, these human factors classes, shoot us a message and let us know. You got our email, info at thegreatdivepodcast.com. And we're looking forward to... Seeing you and meeting you and hearing from you and diving with you, maybe. Yeah. So, again, big thank you to everyone. We'll be back with more of these in the future. Yeah. And catch Gareth on the link provided and his new book, Under Pressure. Great book, great read. Uh, I've given it a review. Read it, give it a review. It's great. Uh, A lot to learn from it, a lot to take away that will help you, not only in your diving, but I mean, in a way of looking at things. Yeah. Driving, diving, your your job maybe. Yeah, definitely. Get out there and get his book. It's a, it's a life skill, not just a scuba skills you learn. True. Good point. Boom. Thanks, everybody. Blue, blue, blue.